This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Um, If you would, turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You, and Lord, we come before You looking to You for grace, to do what we've come to do, to pay attention to Your Word, Lord, to seek to understand so that we may learn and so that we may apply these things to our lives. Father, we don't want to engage in false religion like that of the Pharisees. Lord, we we want our hearts to be genuinely in love with You. Lord, we want to be uh, in pursuit of Your your glory, Your holiness, pursuing peace with others, pursuing love. Father, we desire that You work all these things within us, and we know that it's by Your grace. So, Father, we pray, grant understanding, grant that it be so, that we be empowered to live uh, in accordance with godliness. I ask that You enable me to deliver the message You would have delivered here. Grant accuracy and clarity and, again, open all of our ears to hear, we pray, for our good. For your honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, you'd always like for everybody to be here, but especially today, you know, I kind of feel like uh, it would be good to have uh, everybody that was here this morning here tonight so, so that I can finish the message <laughs> that I did this morning. Uh, so, some of you are going to get, get the end, and uh, uh, the others will not, I suppose, at least, unless they catch it online or something, but I, it, it's just one of those times where I felt like it was uh, kind of left open-ended this morning. I tried to, to make some statements to, uh, to point to the end, but um, really we're going we're gonna to look at that tonight. You did? Well, good. Amen. And I'm glad. I, <laughs> I, and I wish I could have been... Not just to mess up your day, but no, <laughs> no. I, I sincerely wish I could have been. I, I hated hated to miss, and and my dad said the same thing. By the way, he always likes to come to the fish fries, and he told me last night. I mean, I told him we had a fish fry, and he said, "You did. Wish I could have been there." I said, "Yeah, I wish I could have been there too." <laughs> I didn't get to make it. You know what, though, I am uh, I'm truly thankful. I say this in all seriousness. Um, uh, not trying to be, I say this in all seriousness, I'm glad that what goes on here does not revolve around me. Sometimes um, that is the case uh, in, in some churches. And, uh, uh, you know, in case, you're, in case you're wondering, I know it's not the case here. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad of that. I, I was in a discussion years ago with this uh Fellow that was uh, he was a seminarian in uh, Anglican seminary, and 
he made one of the best arguments I've heard for, uh, it was, I mean, it was almost tempting, you know, to, to, uh, to uh, admit that he was right. But um, he was on this point. Uh, but he made one of the best arguments I've heard for liturgical worship. And if, if, you're, if you don't know what liturgical worship is, I guess the best way to, to say it quickly is just give you examples. If you go, you go to an Episcopal church, or even, even a Roman Catholic church is liturgical, but if Episcopal churches are liturgical, um, Presbyterian, Methodist, you know, they, they have a, a usually written uh, service that they go through. In fact, they're usually even preaching the same text. I mean, in that particular group, like if you go to an Episcopal church, they should they should have all been preaching from the same text today, not not the same sermon. They you know they have the the freedom to to uh, write their own sermons, but they're they're using um, the the Book of Common Prayer, which gives them the passage for each Sunday uh, because it walks them through the Bible over the course of the year, and then. They, they pray the same prayers and, and so forth. That's, that's liturgy, all right? Um, but anyway, one of the best arguments I've heard for that type of worship was this. He said it helps keep us from, having, um, from, from the pastor being the center of everything. He said everything's centered around the liturgy, which in turn, if it's done right, is centered on the Word of God. And so it keeps the, you know, everybody from focusing on the pastor. You know, you don't have to have a dynamic preacher um, because everybody comes and participates in the liturgy. Now, there are a lot of things I would, I would disagree about there, but that, uh, about, you know, that, that, uh, well, I won't even go into that. But th- that's probably the, one of the best arguments I've heard because, you know, I thought, you know, that's, whether or not they're going about it the right way, the intention there is good. Because it doesn't need to have a man at the center. Um, but then again, too, I would say this: everybody has liturgy. <laughs> it's just it's just not always written down in a book. You know, we ha- we have our own. It's just uh, um, again, it's just not written down for us on paper. <clears throat> so everybody's liturgical in some sense. All right, um, Matthew twenty-three. Let's pick up in uh, in verse thirty four. We'll pick up right there where we left off. Like I say, this is kind of finishing the thought um, of all that we talked about this morning. Matthew twenty three thirty four through thirty nine. Therefore, indeed. I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often 
I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, this morning um, we were dealing with the hypocrisy of the, uh, of the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and we went through uh, all of the examples that Jesus uh, lays out here. Um, in a nutshell, and I want to just give you a reference that I intended to give you this morning uh, that, that kind of sums it up. Out of uh, out of Luke, let me get over here and find it real quick. Luke chapter twelve and verse one. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples: First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, that kind of sums up all that we talked about this morning. If you go on and you read through Luke 12, it goes on to explain what Jesus is calling the leaven of the Pharisees is their, is their doctrine, right? It's, it's their, their teaching. And he's saying it's, it's hypocritical. The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Now, what, is, what does leaven do? I mean, we, even if we're not a, and I'm certainly not a baker, but even if we're not a baker, we should know this by now from Scripture. What does leaven do? Rises? What? Yeah. It, it infiltrates, I guess would be the word. Or, or uh, what's, there's another word I'm looking for. Um, I don't know. Permeates. Um, I mean, it, it just it, it spreads and takes over that which it's in. Uh, an example I always like, because again, I'm not a baker, but... Um, my old pastor years ago used to say you could take a you could take a, a bucket or let's say a gallon jug of just pure water, spring water, and you take one little bitty thimbleful or maybe not even half a thimbleful of ditch water, and you dump it in that bucket of pure water, and guess what? It contaminates the whole, right? And that's what leaven does. It 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 uh. It affects the whole lump. And so Jesus is saying that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. It, it spreads. Um, and we saw examples of that. You know, they, they travel in and see to make a convert, make them twice the son of hell that they themselves are, and that kind of thing. Uh, so they, they are hypocrites that multiply, breed Hypocrites. That's what he's warning against. And again, we went through several examples of that this morning. Now, tonight what I want to do is, is uh, what I, well, two things. One thing I, I mentioned this morning, there is an answer for that. Remember, Jesus raises this question um, in verse 33. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? In other words, he's saying, this being the case, all of these things being true that I've said about you, you're blind guides. Um, you disregard the weightier matters of the law. 
you devour widows' houses, and on and on and on. All these things being true about you, um, again, you can sum it up in the word hypocrite. The fact that you are hypocrites, your religion is false, your lovers of self rather than lovers of God. All these things being true about you, how shall you escape condemnation? How shall you escape the condemnation of hell? Well, the answer is they, they, they can't unless they repent. And that's the answer for us as well. We can't unless we repent. Now, verse 34, in their case, at least, at least generally speaking, they don't repent. Now, there are going to be some of them that do. Paul, Paul Saul of Tarsus, was a Pharisee. And he is saved, gloriously saved by the power of God uh, over in, in Acts. So, so Paul is an example of, of a Pharisee coming to Christ, a Jewish leader coming to Christ. And there are others, you know, like Nicodemus uh, appears to. Um, so some of them do, but generally speaking, they don't. So Jesus says to them, verse 34, I, Indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. I think he's looking backward and forward here. This, this spans all of history, basically, or at least all of the history of the Jewish nation. In other words, he, he's done this in the past. Since you prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of them you will kill, crucify, some of them you have killed, crucify, some of them you will scourge. And then as he puts it here in the future tense, it's going to be true as well in the future in the church. He sends them prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill, some crucify, some of them you will scourge in your synagogues, persecute from city to city. So, in other words, they're not going to repent. At least generally speaking, they're not. As, as a group, as a whole, at, at this point they're not. And so, what he's saying is, judgment is surely coming. You're not going to escape condemnation. Judgment is surely coming. And that's the warning that he's putting out. You're, you're not going to escape. Your false religion is going to get you nowhere. It's going to benefit nothing. You're not going to profit from it. You reap what you sow. And again, with their past history and future in mind, he goes on to say, verse 35, that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, that, that covers the full scope of the... Uh, the Old Testament record. Uh, in fact, um, I don't have it right here in front of me. Does somebody have a footnote on, on Zechariah there? It's Second Chronicles uh, what, something. 20? Say that again. Second Chronicles 24.20. Um Let me just read a little bit of this. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He also has forsaken you. So they conspired against Him. And at the command of the king, they stoned Him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Okay, so 
and that is toward the uh, the the very end chronologically. It's not in your in your Bible, but chronologically, that's toward the end, the very end of the Old Testament period. So you've got righteous Abel at the very first, and he's the first righteous person murdered, first murder period, and then the very last on record uh, being. Uh, uh, being Zechariah, the son of uh, Jehoiada, as it's recorded here in in Second Chronicles, uh, and incidentally, there's there's some some speculation here, but some uh, if you notice, Jesus says son of Berechiah. Some think that may be a reference to somebody else in his lineage, but but he is believed to be talking about uh, what is recorded here in Second Chronicles 24. Um, or Possibly the prophet Zechariah, who, who is called son of Berechiah, um, the one that authored the book Zechariah. There, there are different views from different people. But point is, Jesus is saying, all of the righteous bloodshed throughout your history, history of the Jews, this generation is going to pay for. He's saying judgment's going to come on this generation. This is when... This is when it's coming down. Now, this generation. That's verse 35. That on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come on this generation. That thing getting real muddy? Um, let's, let's switch to this mic. I'm losing my battery. Okay. Um, so again, verse 36, Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Uh, quite a statement. <clears throat> Judgment is, is, is um, delayed sometimes, but it's always sure. Right? God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Here comes the... Uh, uh, judgment upon Israel for all of their uh, sin against God's messengers. And then in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. Notice how he designates them. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. Uh, I want to say more about that later because he's going he's to get into detail on that in chapter 24, the actual coming of judgment. And it did come on that generation in 70 A.D. Uh, when, when Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome's army. And from that time on, has ceased to be, uh, had ceased to be a nation. Uh, at least until <clears throat> at least until 1948. Okay, so they they were destroyed, just just as Jesus predicted. Your house is left to you desolate. All right. Now let me back up to verse 37 here, uh, and let's let's focus on that. Like I say, we'll say more about verse 38 later. There are two wills at work here. And, now this this is what I kind of want us to see. This this is <laughs> the rest of the story from this morning. 
because we, we see uh, the indictments that Jesus brings, hard, hard sayings, hard words. The judgment that he prophesies, hard. But there's a reason for it. And again, he raises a question, doesn't he? How shall you escape? Well, in their case, they won't. But why? Why won't they? What is, what is the reason that they will not escape? Now, let's look at verse 37. There, there, there are two wills spoken about here in verse 37 that are at odds with each other. First, um, here's an expression of the heart of our Lord. And notice this. Because what Jesus has been doing all along as we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, what Jesus has been doing all along is calling people to repentance. Demand, in fact, uh, it is a demand. It's a command, a demand. Demanding people to repent. Repent and believe the Gospel. Believe and live. And so he laments here their refusal to do that. And this has been going on for centuries. That's, that's what he's saying. Down through the centuries, I've sent you prophets and righteous men, and you've killed them. And just like we saw in the, in the, uh, the parable of the, the landowner who sends out servants and they would abuse them, mistreat them, and then he finally says, I will send my son. And they will honor him. And what happens to the son when he goes out? They say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And all of that is a picture of the nation of Israel and their, their rebellious history. As God time and time and time again sends word to them to repent. And Jesus says it this way. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted, notice that word, I willed or I, I desired, I wanted to. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. Have you ever, you ever seen a hen do that? I have. We used to, we used to raise chickens. And <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a beautiful picture. I mean, with a hen knows that there's trouble around. I mean, they'll they'll do this little call, all the little chicks come running, and 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 then they just disappear because <laughs> we'd have a bunch of them too, and they just disappear because the hen puts her wings over them and covers them. Why? Protect them, keep them safe, because she knows there's. Danger, And that's the picture that Jesus uses to express His own desire for the people of Israel. How often, how often I wanted. This, this is my will, He says. This is what I will. How often I wanted to gather your children. And by the way, isn't this also again, don't you think, isn't, isn't this another uh, evidence 
of the deity of Christ. I mean, when he says how often I wanted to do this, is he, does he mean in the past three and a half years? I mean, is he standing there talking as a 33-year-old man saying, over the course of my ministry in the past three and a half years, how often I wanted to gather you up? I think he's looking back over all of history. Saying, how many times, how many times, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the children of Jerusalem, the children of Israel, God's anointed, God's chosen people. I willed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. I, I wanted to protect you. But what was the problem? There's another will at work here. And Jesus, Jesus gives us the other problem in the rest of this verse. The, the problem. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And the problem wasn't that God wasn't there. The problem was not that God wasn't ready to receive, to forgive, to protect, to love. The problem was that they were not willing. Now, this, this is, to me anyway, an emphatic statement of man's responsibility. And the Bible throughout, not just in this one passage... I'm going to give you another one in a minute, but there's more than two. There's, there's, <laughs> there's hundreds. The Bible throughout, from cover to cover, teaches that man is responsible for his sin. Say, well, don't you believe that God is sovereign? Yes, I do. Don't you believe that God sovereignly elects whom He desires to save? Yes, I do. I believe that God chose, just like Ephesians 1 said, says, before the foundation of the world, in Christ, those whom He would save. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me comes to me. Well, there's some transaction that took place back there where the Father gave certain ones to the Son. And they come to me, Jesus says. They hear my voice. And yet, the Bible is clear, for all those who perish... It is because they would not come to Christ. In spite of all the warnings through the centuries. And this is not just true of the Jews. It's, it's especially true of them because of the, uh, the, the great amount of light that they had. While other uh, nations sat in utter darkness... The nation of Israel was given special revelation. They were given the Word of God. God sent men to them, prophets, 
to testify of the reality of the Lord and to testify of His grace and mercy, to testify of His desire to make them a people unto Himself, to be for them to be His people and for Him to be their God. And they were not willing. They were not willing. Look, just briefly, this is just kind of a parallel statement in John 5. Here, uh, also, Jesus is being accused by unbelieving Jews. And he's done something horrible. He's healed a man on the Sabbath day. And uh, when he's confronted about it, he says in verse 17, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Well, that made the situation even worse. Verse 18 says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, and he just admitted he was working, right? He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. We'll we'll give them this much. They... They understood the point of what Jesus was saying. They, they said, oh, he's making himself equal with God. And they were right about that. And so now they want to kill him all the more. Look down at verse 39, John 5:39. When all of this is so good, it's hard to jump in the middle of it, but... John 39, Um, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Now, we we talked quite a bit about that in in, in talking about the hypocrisy and the blindness of the Pharisees. They are experts in the Scriptures, and yet they they don't see the main story, the main theme of the Scriptures, which is Jesus, the main point of the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But, verse 40, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Let me tell you what Jesus did not say. John 5, Matthew 23, or anywhere else. He, didn't, he did not say, you, you, you poor souls, you're, you're blind. And you just can't help it. I mean, after all, what do you expect from blind men? This is what blind men do. They don't see. You can't, you're blind. You can't help it. That's what he did not say. He, he laid the blame right on their head. You blind fools, he said. You brood of vipers. You serpents. How often would I have gathered you? I wanted to, he says. I wanted to gather you together. Like a hen gathers her biddies under her wings. But you would not. 
Now that's, that's, listen, that's what spiritual blindness is. That's what defines spiritual blindness. It is an unwillingness to do God's will. The very fact that they are blind hypocrites is because of the corruption in their hearts. It's because of their sin. It's it's not something that can be laid on somebody else to take the blame. And he doesn't lay it on somebody else. He's very clear. You will not come to me that you may have life. What does that imply? If you turn that around. If you come to me, you will have life. But you won't do it. You won't do it. And then, similarly, here, in Matthew 23, you were not willing. Well, what if you were? Jesus says, I I wanted to gather you together. I wanted to protect you. I wanted to love you. How often did he say in the Old Testament, I've chosen you, I've loved you. You're my people, I'm your God. But you were not willing, Jesus says. So there's two wills at work. Jesus is willing to save. The question is, are you willing to come to Christ? Are you willing to be saved? The fault for all who perish doesn't lie with God. You know, you heard me quote before Bertrand Russell, famous uh, atheist philosopher. He's dead now, uh, but he was he was asked one time, well, "What if you're wrong?" What if you're wrong? What if you die and there's a God and you face God? What will you say to Him? And he said, not enough evidence. In other words, he was laying the blame at God's feet. You you didn't give me enough evidence. I would believe if there was evidence, but there's not enough evidence. So he, he said, I'll tell him, not enough evidence. Jesus is saying that just the opposite is true. Oh, there was, there was plenty of evidence. And it's not God's unwillingness, it's our unwillingness. You were not li- How How often I wanted, but you were not willing. I willed, you were not willing. 
so judgment comes. He says, see, this, this is it. This is a final pronouncement. See, verse 38, your house is left to you desolate. Notice how he, he puts that in the, as though it's already happened. Well, it, it has in one sense. I mean, it's determined. It's coming. Now, it didn't take place for roughly another 35 or 40 years. But Jesus is saying it's done. It's a done deal. Your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, verse 39, you shall not, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus is quoting again uh, there from Psalm 118. This is part of what the, the people were chanting when he was riding into Jerusalem and the children when he was in the temple. It's, it, it is uh, an acknowledgment that he's the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he says here in verse 39, you know, or in verse 38 and 39, your house is left desolate. That is, judgment is sure. It's coming. It's over for you. And you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to say two things real quick about that because uh, I, I don't, in all honesty, have the definite answer, and this is something we'd have to talk about another time anyway. Um, but I think there are two possibilities as far as what he means there. That may be a hint of what Paul speaks about in Romans 11, that there's coming a time, it seems, when Israel will recognize Jesus as Messiah. And, and then they will say, as a, as, a, uh, as a group, as a nation, Jesus is Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, that seems to be what Paul is saying in Romans 11. Maybe this is a hint of that as well. Or, it could be that Jesus is saying, when judgment comes, it's going to be too late then, but then you're going to know that I really am the Messiah. And your time of grace is past. Your house is left, is left to you desolate. Judgment is sure. And you're not going to see me again until you see me in judgment. And you say, too late. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, they at that point recognize that he is indeed the Messiah. Well, all of that, just say this as a, as a final point. There is an answer to the corruption and the hypocrisy that lies within all of us. The lovelessness, the selfishness. I mean, because if you get right down to it, we're all, we're all Pharisees in one sense. But there's an answer for it. What Jesus has been calling them to all along. Faith in Him and repentance. Come to Me that you may have life. So, the good news is, there's a remedy. And judgment is coming. But for all who are in Christ, 
there is no condemnation. So the question for each one of us is just, where do we stand with Christ? Are we in Christ? Do we believe on Jesus? Are we followers of Jesus? Do we stand in opposition to Him as they did? Even if we, even though we may profess to be religious, they did too. The question is not, do we profess allegiance? The question is, do we live allegiance? Do we love and obey Him? Do we follow Him? For those who oppose Him, condemnation is sure. There's no escape. But for those who belong to Him, (laughs) for those who know what it is to be under His wings, that's the safest place in all of the universe and beyond. Even safe. And don't you think maybe this is what Jesus was getting at? Safe from God's wrath. In Christ, you're safe from the wrath of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word, for these precious truths. And we do pray, Lord, that You draw us close to Yourself. And Lord, even as Christians, we know that we struggle with the flesh and we we have these situations where we give in to temptation. We don't always put You first or love You to the utmost as we should. So we're in constant need of Your grace, Lord. And we're so thankful. So thankful to be under the shadow of Your wings in Christ Jesus. I do pray, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that does not know You in truth, may this, may this be the night they surrender in submission to You. May they cry out to You in prayer. Come to You so that they may have life and not condemnation. May it all be for Your praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.